0: Welcome to episode 23 of the Mag Culture podcast. I'm Jeremy Leslie and I'm here at the Mag Culture Shop where things remain a little quiet. We still can't let customers in. This is all going to change on Monday the 8th of the 12th, we hope. But we are busy online with, uh, with shipping orders and with our click and collect service. Uh, and part of the growth of that recently has been due to our new website, uh, which I hope some, uh, many of you have found already, but we'll be coming back to that a little later in this episode. But it's episode 23, and that matters a lot to me. Some of you may be aware I have a thing about that number, uh, one small remnant of an adolescent obsession with William Burroughs. Anyway, it means that this 23rd podcast will mention 23 magazines over the next 40 minutes or so, uh, and that we'll open with an issue 23 and we'll end with an issue 23. Uh, and in between, well, on the contents page of this episode, I meet Carol Montpart, one of the three women team behind the Plant Journal, Uh, Carol and I discuss the 16th issue of her magazine, another glorious collection of imagery and stories loosely based around gardens and the outdoors. We look at how do you plan such a free-form and relatively abstract magazine. We then cross to New Jersey to meet Stephen Lamazal. Stephen has a passion for collecting first editions of vintage magazines and now has over 80,000 in his collection. We talk as a small part of his collection goes on show in Manhattan. Uh, We discuss the origins of the Word magazine and the campaigning role magazines have had over the centuries, from the early Black Liberation magazines uh, and the United We Stand fundraiser for the Second World War. But where better to start this 23rd podcast than the 23rd issue of one of my favourite magazines? The front covers of The Gentlewoman are always an event in themselves, and this latest one is no exception. The choice of star, the portrait and the background colour are all perfect. Scarlett Johansson is one of today's most famous faces and the tightly cropped portrait here is by Inez and Vinud and is stunningly styled by Mel Ottenberg, the creative director of Interview magazine as well as a freelance stylist in his own right. This picture sits on a gorgeously ripe rusty orange and it clashes with Johansson's brash red and purple makeup. To quote Editor-in-Chief Penny Martin in a recent email to me, the issue has been made by wild women desperate to get back out. And this cover expresses that very well, as does the interview inside with the movie star who discusses life in her realm on Zoom. We regularly use page 23s from new issues to highlight editorial ideas and design devices from magazines. Our most recent page 23 post came from the fifth issue of Backstage Talks. Uh, This is the design magazine uh, that interviews designers from across the world. It's published from a studio in in the Slovak Republic. Uh, Page 23 of that magazine opens a section about time management in design, and the gentlewoman's creative director, Veronica Ditting, is one of those answering. I'm a perfectionist and therefore spend too much time tweaking and revising things if I'm not convinced by the result yet. Uh, she says. A familiar story for many people in magazines. You have to be quite obsessive with the detail. And one detail I'm sure Veronica spends a lot of time on is the background colour for each cover. Following the uh, rich blue-green of number 22, the rusty orange of this one is again almost unreproducible in a photograph and that in itself is uh, is an achievement the power of printed color that can't be reproduced truly we struggle we t- we take a lot of photographs of magazines and some of those special colors the special pantone colors just can't be reproduced properly uh, through the through the medium of instagram and uh, it's great that print can confound technology like that uh, backstage talks uh, has two other ed- editorial design heroes mentioned uh, gail bischler and francesco franchi I can't mention their magazines as that will take me over the 23 magazines limit that I've I've set myself in this episode, but I'm sure you know both those names. If not, search them down. In terms of new launches, I've been expecting new approaches to homes and interiors as a result of the whole world being tied to home uh, for the past year. Uh, The first I've seen, though, is from the Korean publisher of B magazine, The Home. This arrives in a similar format uh, to Magazine B and indeed Magazine F. Uh, If you don't know them, Magazine B... Uh, each issue de- deals with a brand, um, so they've done uh, across the board: uh, fashion brands, media brands, cities, etc. But every issue is completely focused on its one brand and one subject, uh, and is quite factual, uh, business orientated, very detailed, uh, but quite unemotional and, un- and unattached uh, to its, its subjects. And similarly, F Magazine is about food and it has the history and geographical um, background to various foods. This magazine is slightly different it's in- and very interesting for it in the way it's far more emotional about its subject. It is an overview of the home and there is a, lot, a lengthy kind of explanation at the start of, the, uh, of this launch issue about the effect of the pandemic and the ever-increasing importance of home over the last uh, 12 months. But it adds up to a really really special magazine there are of course elements of apartamento uh, there's elements almost of estate agents in in some of the detailing, but perhaps it you know it might best be compared in some respects to something like the modern house the website and I don't think it's a coincidence that both those publications, the Modern house and apartamento uh, the people behind them are featured in this launch issue of the home uh, talking about their own publications and, and how they Uh, address the idea of home. Um, But there are lots of international examples, plus some just really nice throwaway ideas that sort of change the pace a little bit. There's a lot of just simple questions, what does home mean to you? And various people answer that. I really like it. It's a really useful addition to the Interiors magazine uh, range that we carry. Another recent arrival is the fourth issue of Failed States. The man behind this tidy little journal is Jamie Atherton, who some of you may remember... Uh, was our shop manager at MagCulture until last year. This is the first issue he's published since leaving, and i really enjoyed approaching it with no prior knowledge of its making. Very different in every sense to the other magazines I've mentioned so far in this episode. Failed States concerns place, a very different thing to home. This fourth issue is by some way the most accomplished, the theme South enticing great submissions from writers and artists alike. I always enjoy Bryony Quinn's introductory essay about the etymology of the theme, and here she writes about South. As there are many Souths, there are countless Southerners, identifiable, writes Susan Sontag, by some particular characteristics. For if you start dancing on tables, finding yourself, feeling sleepy when you pick up a book, developing a sense of rhythm, making love whenever you feel like it, then you know the South has got you. Associations of southerliness and slovenliness and lack of wealth abound, and so South is a stereotype, a state of mind, and a way of behaving. The issue lives up to that description, with photo reports from the British South Coast, plenty of material about the southern states of the US, and a brilliant story about the unofficial road ramps off a new bypass road in Egypt. Failed States is a steady, quiet magazine that repays repeated returns to discover more. It doesn't shout at you, but if you give it half a chance, you'll be shouting about it. And so we come to The Plant, whose 16th issue is out now. I spoke with co-creator director, Carol Monpart, about producing the issue. Hi, Carol. Congratulations on the new issue.
1: Uh, hi Jeremy, thank you very much.
0: <laughs> we last spoke. Uh, I guess almost, um, I, I'm not sure of the dates, but it was at the beginning of the first lockdown, or thereabouts, last year, uh, when the fifteenth issue of the plant was just out, and it was running a bit late, and it was all a little tentative. It almost you were one. You, you, you admitted at the time you were almost wondering whether or not you should print it. Um, but but now we have a new issue, and it feels um, far more kind of. Established and confident again. Are you, are you happy with it?
1: Yeah, we're very happy. To be honest, we're having great reviews um, and feedback so far. Uh, even if it's not in newsstands yet, but you know, like with social media and, and all of that, you are just immediately sharing content and names, and people are really excited as we are too. Um, so yeah, I just can't wait for people to have it in their hands and and you know get feedback of the the actual readers rather than. Mm-hmm. Um, the information being perceived through social or online.
0: We've got copies here and it's sort of landed just at the right time. It's spring, the lockdown's coming to an end, uh, and the new issue, the plant is big and bright and colourful, full of plants, full of flowers. Um, Tell us, I mean, was it a simpler process putting it together this time?
1: It was actually, I was really um, glad to read your email, um, uh, Jeremy, just before this, uh, you know, before our chat. Because it's it's you know it makes me happy to know that the, all the kind of negative side of the pandemic is not perceived in the issue, and actually that's something that we wanted to do. We you know I think it was a decision. It was should we go for communicating all this uncertainty and you know all this kind of negative feelings we have, or we go the other way where these you know the, the magazine is just something that you know lands in your post and and you just pick and open and, you know, just gives you all this, yeah, all this um, hope. Uh, I think like hope was actually, you know, one of the words that came up like quite a lot while like in the process of making this issue. And I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad that it come across this way. And I was having, a, yeah, I was flicking through before, uh, again, and not before you called and, yeah, I just think it's 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 good, you know, I just like the, the vibrancy and the colours and, and it feels positive and, and I mean, I think I can speak for the whole team, I think um, the editor and my partner Isa, like both will feel like same as I
0: do. So take us back to the beginning and, you know, um, so you, you know you're going to be producing a new issue of the magazine come March. Um, when did you start the issue?
1: yeah so um, I think for us the the process is quite yeah it's quite organic, and then we we receive submissions um like constantly, then we kind of like pick the ones that you know pick up on the ones that we think uh fit well in the magazine. I think what is beautiful about this project and and us as a team is that each issue translates the you know the mood or the you know the feelings of the team it's not really. Something intentional. It just comes. It just comes. I don't know how mm-hmm. to explain it, but it, but it is like this. And and I think we're happy that the magazine is called the Plant and is really about nature because it it, it really all ends up being part of how we feel and how the world feels as well. If that makes sense.
0: It does. It does because it, I mean, it, it is a it, it is a very free form magazine that doesn't kind of keep to regular formats or uh, you know that. There's one regular section, but, other, but otherwise it's very much for a freeform thing. But nonetheless, when it comes to, you know, you sit down in front of a, a blank flat plan and you start to sort of sketch out what what story goes where. And I'm I'm thinking perhaps you, you've had a couple of regular contributors who've suggested ideas, and then you're thinking about working with a new person. What's the actual process for sort of choosing the right? We're going to go with that and this and.
1: Other titles might just uh, start with a flat plan and just mm-hmm. you know start from there. I don't think it's our case. For us, mm-hmm. is we're building up stories and then we're like slowly seeing what the gaps are and what do we need. You uh-huh. know, like there's there's kind of like a even if there's not a fixed sections, there's kind of certain themes or or um, themes or things that we want to touch on. So you know, we're like feeling. Uh, For example, there's always like an interview, you know, so we know that we have to cover this. And and if that comes first and it's a big interview, then kind of everything works around that. So, you know, we take like a couple of of themes uh, or features that we're like, you know, very sure about. And then the rest just builds from that. And we just see what gaps and what we're missing you know, are we missing fashion? Are we missing still life? Are we missing uh, um, environmental issues? And that's that's how we that's how we work.
0: And and then you, you you've also developed a really lovely strand of kind of uh, illustrative work as well. And in the, uh, the new issue, you, you've got um, uh, a, a lovely kind of uh, comic zine by uh, Nomka Enke. Uh, t- tell us how that came about. So this is,
1: I think, this is something that. Um, um, I, I mean, as a magazine, we're in a, I think we're in a great place at the moment where we're trying to, I mean, this this is uh, our 10th year. So the first issue of the plan came out in 2011. So this is our 10th year and we're um, excited with everything is coming. So, you know, we're like launching new websites soon. We're also working on publications. And I think one of the things that we always wanted to do, it was more, you know, plans and kids and how to uh do something around that and that's something mm-hmm. that you know we we will develop in the future but I think in the in the meantime it, it was great to kind of give a teaser of like how you know how we see this working um, in this case um yeah I knew I knew Nomka's work through social media and uh, I really I really like her you know her approach and how yeah like how her drawings are uh yeah, just so so interesting, and, and, and the message and all. And I, I just always wanted to work with her. And uh, and when I spoke to to the team, um, I think we all felt that it was super right for what we wanted to do for this issue. So again, we wanted to bring in some color and you know, kind of a nice children's story uh, around plants. So uh, so yeah, she we we work on this piece with her. We, you know, we commissioned her. We explained a little bit what we wanted to do, and and she was really excited. And and I think we, yeah, we slowly tailored this this little story, which I think it gives a little bit of, uh, yeah, it gives a little bit of something else that you wouldn't have found before in 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 the magazine.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I mean, Instagram especially has become such a, a rich source of uh, people's work in terms of re- of get, getting to f- familiar and, and finding new new, uh, new contributors. What, what about people you 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 work with more regularly i mean do do, do you find that they are, that they come to you with ideas? So, you know somebody maybe did something a couple of issues ago comes back says actually, I've got this other thing that I think might work for the plant
1: We have quite a bit of that, uh, especially with writers um, mm-hmm. uh, We work very closely with hetty judah um she's a wonderful writer um, she writes for free like she's an art, um um Critic and she's yeah she's she's wonderful she's been working with us for a long time and she always sends an email with like a few you know like with the story list and mm-hmm. uh, she she in this case she wrote the story about ruth asawa which is a, mm-hmm. a great story to have and we're really excited i mean in the team we're big fans of her work but the approach uh of the story it's you know i think it's it's not been done before, it's about Ruth and her passion about growing and nature. And and again, I think coming back to, you know, to maybe your question or like the question of some people of what makes the story the plant definitely has to have approach, you know, like tell a story in a different way that hasn't been told before. Um, I think we all agree that, you know, it's really easy to find information about anything (laughs) on the internet these days. So for us, it's very important. And I think that's where we're trying to become stronger as well. Just how can we tailor these stories to become the plant and not of someone else? And I think in this case, Ruth, it was... Uh, this is a story about Ruth Asawa. The artist. It was important for us to have imagery that was unpublished before, like kind of like not, not seen, and and also the story we're telling that you know you couldn't easily find. So we had sources from different galleries, uh, Ruth Asawa's foundation. So it was it was a big is a, is a big piece of work, and and it's funny how you have to really dig in that deep mm-hmm. these days to tell something that um that, you know, it's not been told before, it's been told in a different way. Um, so we, we are very lucky to have contributors, like our regular contributors understand very well this from us. And, and, and I think it's, it's great when you keep working with the same people that they're familiar with what you want. It's just really easy, easy to work. And then is when the right submissions come in, uh, mm-hmm. etc.
0: And, and then, of course, there's this. There, the, there must sometimes be the situation where uh, a regular contributor comes up with what they think is a fabulous idea, and it's maybe just not such a fabulous idea. So you you, you have to exercise that kind of control. Yeah, I
1: mean that also comes. I, I mean, it is uh, the submission things is is. It's tricky because obviously all the content has to work together, right? And as as you said, in the flat plan, and 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 it's only not not only content-wise but also visually, right? Like you can have things that look visually the same mm-hmm. repeated several times. So we might receive one submission that is similar to the other one that we received before, and that doesn't mean that we love it. It's just it might not be right for the issue. So that's, you know, again, I think magazines work. You know, and I think flat plan is the right term, term we we work with this flat plan. we have an amount of pages, and you know that's what we have to cover so yes, yeah, sometimes there's the case where the idea is not right, but I think again, this is something that anyone that is familiar with a magazine uh, with magazines understands and and that's how it works there's some limitations
0: indeed yeah, indeed, but it must be particularly complex for you when it's such a visually orientated magazine, and as you say the you want the texture and the feel of each story to be different, whether it's as simple as going from color to black and white or, you know, from from human to plant. It, it needs to have that pace and variation.
1: Absolutely. And and that's something that and I think that links to your first question, first question of how we work, um, because we are like visually driven.
0: And then I guess as as well as kind of working with familiar contributors and new contributors, you also want to bring something new to the magazine uh, of an issue, you know, try and try and kind of advance it and take it on. Is there a story in the new issue which you think brings something different to the magazine?
1: Yes, Jeremy, I think there's there's actually two or three stories that I can um you know that yeah that I can uh, speak about that I think bring something different and and that in a way, let us expand in the future, in future issues, so something new, which I'm, I'm really excited actually. So one of the stories is Harley, Harley Weir who, um, you know, like a lot of, I think like almost everyone's familiar with, with her work and with the story, Doom and Bloom, that opens <laughs> like with this kind of full bleed, uh, like close of of flowers. And um, I think like in times of the pandemic and that kind of like shows again, you know, how, uh, yeah, how a magazine uh, or every issue is done in a certain time. So, you know, we have limitations. People were not able to travel, um, you know, from April till December last year, really. And I think it was really interesting to repurpose content and give it a twist through the plant because also i think is is a way of uh you know environmentally uh speaking uh you know being clever so um harley was publishing these uh, images or some of these images in her stories and instagram and you know just photographing flowers in a very raw and and almost kind of sensual way and yeah, I think I we get we got in touch with her and we thought oh I I think like there's potentially a really great story here, you know, we just would like to, to we just have this, this idea of how like a lot of close ups of flowers. We love the idea that we're shot with the phone, you know, just not really for the purpose of the magazine. So they had this um yeah, this kind of unintentional way of being shot. Um and she loved the idea and we just decided to you know, put these, uh, these pictures shot with with uh, her iPhone and we work on an edit with her and it was, it was great. And I'm really, again, it's just we work with authors, we work with artists, photographers that generate personal work and things that, you know, never see the light beyond social or online. And how can we repurpose this content in an interesting way? And this story has already been quite successful just with the glimpse we've seen on social so um, I'm excited for everyone to see it on page because I think it looks fantastic um
0: it does it does
1: in in the same in the same way um, you know kind of not repurposing but just almost you know it's more like gathering um, a collection of photographs is the Fuji story which you um, I think we've we've always felt in the plan I think we always wanted to do something about uh, Fuji and we were discussing how difficult and I think it came up through a conversation of traveling and again oh going to Japan we can't go you know to Japan from Europe yeah. from the UK now when is the next time so you know it came up the conversation around Fuji and how difficult it is to photograph that mount um and we thought why don't we contact you know like people we've worked with in the past or artists we admire. And then we came up with this, I feel, beautiful collection of pictures of Mount Fuji, which it almost would deserve a book or something, because I think we, we, yeah. we got really great names in there and, and everyone was really keen and happy to, you know, that picture that they once took of Mount Fuji in a trip to Japan by Wolfgang Tillmans or even Araki or Brigitte Lacombe. And and they were kind of happy to see you know coming to light and being part of something. It's, I mean, it's almost like an exhibition, right? Like a little show in a magazine.
0: I'm really glad that you highlighted that because that that was one of one of my favorite pieces. And it, and and I'm sure. I mean, it seems to be such a simple idea, just to call in a dozen or so in single pictures from a dozen different artists.
1: And for example, this one of the stories that it came quite late. Um, because, yeah, we're, like, missing something, you know, around that. Like, we always like having something around landscape as well. And we had a an nice chat, the team, and, and this idea came up. And, yeah, I think it's great. And hopefully we can, I don't know, expand this idea and, you know, make a book or, like, even in a future issue, do something like this for something else. But, and again, I think for the times, the times we are now, and, you know, COVID and all, um, this story felt very, like, you know, seeing like a faraway land through the eyes of someone. So there's quite a nice nostalgia in that, and you know, at the traveling uh, theme in there as well. So it was, yeah. It's and and I think this. It was not easy, as you said. It was not easy to to get some of these images. I mean, some of them. We have a good relationship with Wolfgang, so so you know that that was good. Araki like, like was good. it's just always like more tricky just because they are there and obviously with rights and all but you know I think at the end we got a nice a nice combination uh, yeah a nice collection
0: well it's a um congratulations as i say on, on on a great issue um what's next you you, uh, you mentioned the uh, a new website
1: yes, so uh, we are launching the website um year at some point, but the design is done, so we're just starting all the process, which is great uh hopefully more news around um publications coming up so i hope everyone can have uh, the a copy a copy soon on their tables and have a look and and get more more feedback from everyone we, we love hearing thoughts of of all our readers
0: great well listen carol lovely to hear from you thanks for joining us and um keep in touch
1: yes bye
0: bye Jeremy. From making magazines, we turn now to collecting magazines and using them to map the history of the United States. Stephen Lomazow is a neurologist who caught the magazine bug as a medical student. He now has over 80,000 magazines in his collection. I spoke to him in New Jersey as an exhibition based on that archive goes on show in New York. So thank you for joining us, Steve. How are you? It's a pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh, You're well? I am
2: wonderful. I am wonderful. We're. Uh, we. I'm vaccinated. Um, uh-huh. Great. We have a show in New York right now, which I can get to the club now and then if they're socially distanced. But we we get there. Uh-huh. We've had a nice response.
0: Great. You're joining us from your home in New Jersey. Yes, sir, I am. And uh, and and you. By day, you're practicing uh, in medicine, neurology. Is that right? That's correct.
2: I was just in the office today. I saw 25 people in the office this morning. until wow. I got
0: <laughs> Busy day. Yes. Um, so, but, but against that context, you're joining us today to talk about your magazines. How did you come to start collecting magazines?
2: Well, uh, it started when I was in medical school, and I hate to say it, it was almost 50 years ago, in 1972. I was in medical school in Chicago, and there was a I was collecting um, an anatomy atlases because I had just gone to medical school, and collectors will collect anything. So I decided I was going to permit myself to collect anatomy atlases since I was all going to be a doctor for sure. And um, so I went into a bookstore, and sure enough, there was a uh, first issue of Life magazine sitting there. You know the classic Margaret Burke White, uh, Ford Peck Dam, great cover. And uh, that's not an uncommon magazine because everybody saved it. They knew it was going to be a collector's item. And next to it was the second issue, of the first issues allegedly of Look. And it was vol- And and next to that, Look magazine was one of their anniversary issues, which uh, which showed that indeed this was their first issue. The first uh, issue had Hermann Goering on the cover of all things. <laughs> so um, that's great. So I opened it up and. Um, I looked inside it, and it says, Look Magazine, printed in Des Moines, Iowa, volume one, number two. So I said to the book dealer, I said, well, what was number one? And he says, we don't know. (laughs) And that started a 15-year quest to find my holy grail of the first issue of Look Magazine, which you'll find in the catalog of the exhibition. Um, Turns out it was a prototype copy that they used for internal use only. And in all these 40 years, I've had three copies. Uh-huh. So uh it's it's exquisitely rare. So next door to that bookstore was something called ABC Magazine Service. Uh on Clark Street in 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 uh, in Chicago. And they this this was a store devoted just to magazines. So I would spend probably <laughs> half an hour to an hour a day there combing through things that I want. And my goal after getting the look, the look uh, and the life was to get the first issue of every magazine on the newsstand, at least the most popular ones.
0: Mm-hmm. So the initial appeal was the kind of obsessive desire to track down rarities.
2: Uh, obsessive is, 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 a, is a proper word, yes. <laughs> yes. I, it, collecting is in your DNA, and wh- when, you, when you want to do something, that's what it is. And I'm still, every, a day doesn't go by uh, right now that I'm not totally in, 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 entranced by something I find.
0: It's amazing. So jumping forward to today, uh, how many magazines are in your collection?
2: Well, the total number of magazines is eighty three thousand uh but I have seven thousand different titles in my database, but I have some bound volumes of for instance of magazines which are weekly so if you have four years of a weekly, you have two hundred issues of one magazine
0: uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. but collectible wise you know I have seven thousand different titles in my database uh thousand pulp magazines uh
0: six thousand others yes and and and, and... It's still growing? You're still uh, adding to the collection?
2: Oh, yes. I mean, I've been trying, for instance, to get uh, the first issue of every pulp magazine ever printed. And the list is about a 1,000 titles, maybe a little over a 1,000 titles. And to this point, in all the years, I've managed to get it. But the first issue of about... 870 of them. So mm-hmm. I'm, 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 honing, I'm honing in on it, but some of them are so rare, it's, you know, I don't ever expect to see them. I got one, one of my holy grails only uh, two days ago in the mail. And what was that? It was a magazine called Popular Engineering Stories from 1930. Exquisitely <laughs> rare. There are only two known copies. One of them was in the collection of Frank Robinson, the very great collector who happened to be a great author and scholar. And he was actually the man that wrote The Towering Inferno. He had a great, he had a great collection and then he passed away and and his sold, I I, I bid on it maybe six years ago when they sold his collection. I lost it. So I wasn't about to lose this one. So there was one other copy that came up and I bid on it
0: (laughs) and I got it. And tell me just before we come to the exhibition and and zero in on on some more specific examples, just to give get a, a sense of the scope. I mean, numbers are great, and that's a uh, huge numbers you were talking about there. But what's the oldest magazine in your collection?
2: Well, the oldest magazine I actually have is British, uh, be, only because in 1731, Edward Cave started Gentleman's Magazine in London. Uh-huh. And, oh, right. Okay. And that was the first time the word magazine was used in the context of a periodical.
0: Indeed. So uh, you have a, you have a copy of that? I
2: have the first issue uh, of that that's magazine. That's
0: amazing. Well,
2: that's, that's not a terribly uncommon magazine. It's it, it, you know it's un, it's scarce, but it shows up. I mean, uh-huh. I, I happen to have a copy of the third edition of it, so it was reprinted a number of times. I mean, there were other magazines before it, like the Spectator and others, but the idea of of, of, of of something that's called a magazine and magazine comes from the from the originally from the uh, from the Arabic word. Um, um, it, then it became um, under the context of a magazine, like the magazine of a gun or the magazine yeah. where you store uh, gunpowder on a ship. But Cave was the first one in, uh, to to use the magazine as a storehouse of information. Sure, that, sure. so, so because I collect magazines, of course, and I collect first issues of magazines, you cannot have a collection without having the first issue of the first quote unquote magazine.
0: Well, I, I, I can, I can uh, add a little twist to that insofar as uh, I'm sitting here at, at MagCulture HQ, and, and we're about um, three quarters of a mile away from uh, the building in which that magazine was published. That's
2: wonderful.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so we know we, we we know of that magazine well, but I've never actually managed to see a copy. So, uh, as and when and if I ever make it back to New York, I'm I'm, I'm going to be straight down there to have a look at that.
2: Well, the, the, and if you if you get the catalog of our collection uh, and the catalog of the exhibition, uh, my wife wrote a poem about me looking for that magazine, and there's actually a picture of it in there. So, uh, it, you know, usually I only collect British magazines for their if they have some sort of Americana uh, angle to it. Uh, uh-huh. But
0: in this case, you know, it was it
2: is it's it's purely because it was the first.
0: I mean, that's an interesting uh, defining factor. So it's very much an American collection, right?
2: Yeah, uh, it's an American collection. Uh, for instance, you know, I have a British magazine. There was a ladies' magazine, a British ladies' magazine in 1814. That magazine has Americana in it. It had the first printed image of what is now the White House and under the caption, uh-huh. the President's House, lately taken and burned by our troops. <laughs> and that was that was the first printed appearance anywhere of of the of what is now the White House.
0: Uh, so 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 we've established the oldest magazine. What what what's the most recent magazine in your in your collection? I mean, uh, do you come right up to the current time, or is is there a cutoff date?
2: No, I, I come up. Well, I mean, I, I have certain you know twenty first century magazines. Not if not many. Uh, mostly mostly it ends about nine, about two thousand there was a uh, magazine called uh, mcsweeney 's uh, quarterly uh, and that's that is uh, that 's david eggers and and he is really the 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 focus the the, the most important uh, magazine literary figure now uh <laughs> Um, and his it's called the Quarterly Concern. Actually, it was the first printing was in Reykjavik, Iceland, of all places. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, I, but I did get it. He he had started with another magazine just before it, um, and uh, then then, it, then 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 he then he came out with this magazine. Uh, McSweeney's was was his, was a family name. It but it it it, it was Eggers. So uh-huh. yes, yeah, so that, that's the most that's the most recent. Uh-huh.
0: And and clearly, I mean, you know. Um,
2: well, oh, actually, actually, let me correct myself. We have okay. a magazine from we have a magazine from 2018 or 2019 in the show, which is an augmented reality of a of a of a New Yorker cover, uh, which ah. was done by um, uh, Christoph Nyman, and it's the if you put your CR code on it, it actually triggers a movie. So uh, I wanted to take. The show into the twenty-first century, and the best way to do it was to use an augmented reality to show. This is where magazines are going. The kind of things that you like, you know, the innovative. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We have a lot of shared interests, but 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 I'm I, I'm coming at, at magazines from um, from making magazines, and you're coming from collecting magazines. Right. But but you've grown to to understand and appreciate magazines far more deeply as you've collected, right? Absolutely.
2: I mean, and, you know, history repeats itself. There are magazines today that are modeled after magazines that were many years ago. Mm-hmm. And and even now, I, you know, I find something and, and, I, and I, it makes a connection to something that was published 50 years or 100 years ago because it, it's, it's very similar and have a similar theme and interest.
0: Yes. Something that fascinates me about the role of magazines, and I think this is where our interests really do coincide, is I've been to quite a lot of exhibitions in museums and such like, and it might be an exhibition of fashion or furniture or something completely different, but they will use magazines alongside the primary exhibits in order to sort of flesh out the story and history and, and to echo the era, and and this is what magazines do so strongly, do so well.
2: Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, a while maybe twenty years ago, there was a there was an exhibition at the Museum of Modern Art um which was called fame after photography and uh I submitted a few magazines and the one that uh that I that, that had the greatest impact in the whole show was a magazine of, with Charlie Chaplin on the cover uh-huh. uh, called film fund from from 1919 so yes magazines are universally appealing <laughs> and
0: underappreciated Indeed. and but but, but it, to move to the exhibition, you, 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 I mean, you've got this huge collection. You, you obviously had to spend a lot of time editing it down in order to put on the exhibition.
2: Oh, yes. See, the the, the book, the book, uh, the catalog has 400 plus images. The show has about 200 images. And it was tough. Uh, you know, but... Uh, you only have a small, relatively small room, and you have to limit it to certain things. But, but it seems to have uh, hit home because uh, we can get phenomenal reviews in the New York Times and the New Yorker and, and Smithsonian Magazine, and wow. all of them have just ju- jumped, on, uh, jumped on magazines with a, mm-hmm. with, with, a, with a fervor, with a fervor.
0: I would love to um, be able to get across and see it, but it's very unlikely these days that that's going to be possible. And certainly a lot of people listening won't be able to get to New York to see it. So give us a a flavor of what the exhibition consists of.
2: Well, six of the cases, uh, there are 11 cases altogether. Six of them are chronological. Mm -hmm. The earliest American periodical in the collection is 1733, which was John Peter Zenger's uh, New York Weekly Journal, which was the the first uh, American expression of freedom of the press. Um, and then it goes all the way through chronologically to David Egger's magazine in, uh-huh. in, in uh, at the beginning of the 21st century. Um, then there were some specialty uh, some specialty cases. One of them is uh, three of them are devoted to uh, two of them are devoted to uh, to African American culture. No. Uh, because that's been a major theme of the exhibition. Of course, of course, I don't have to tell you or anyone else that 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 there's been a a new revolution in 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 black culture, and uh, black magazines echoed this earlier on, and uh, so I became extremely interested in in African American magazines, which are probably the hottest collectible magazine of all. Uh, in 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 anywhere, because of the new interest in African American culture.
0: The immediate magazine that comes to mind is Ebony, but are there are other magazines.
2: Oh, there's there's probably twenty five or thirty of them. Ebony, of course, was the was the flagship of John Johnson's empire, and it made him a billionaire. Uh, but I have the first magazine published by a black man in America in eighteen thirty six. Called uh, called uh, Mirror of Liberty. I have the first issue of William Lloyd Garrison's Liberator. I have issues of the Crisis, which was the great magazine by uh-huh. W. B. Du Bois. Um, and a, uh, so it, they, they're, they're and magazines with incredible covers. That, for instance, I have an a, a issue of the Crisis with uh, with with with, a, with an image of, Jack, of Josh Gibson on the cover. Now Gibson was the black Babe Ruth. He actually was better than Babe Ruth. He he. Uh, he, he he hit more home runs. Allegedly, he hit one out of Yankee Stadium. I don't know if that means much to a Brit, but that's it. that's a really oh, it great does, song. it does. <laughs> and um, and you know, and, and have him next to a magazine with Babe Ruth on the cover, and Babe Ruth, of course, was was the icon who saved baseball in 1920s with uh, with a, a larger than life personality. So I have the contrast is is that the the Babe Ruth magazine is gloriously done, in color, and one of. 20, 30 magazines and contemporary that had Ruth on the cover. This Gibson cover is the only one ever that has him on it. Uh, So, uh, but he was just as good, but, uh, or better than Babe Ruth. He was voted the the greatest catcher in the history of baseball is in the Uh hall of fame. But because he was playing in the obscurity of the Negro leagues, the only image that he has is on the cover of, 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 of the crisis, which was the magazine of the NAACP.
0: That's amazing. And, and um, I mean, you mentioned a really, really early magazine published sure. by uh, a, a black American. And were, uh, were these magazines campaigning magazines?
2: Clearly, William Lloyd Garrison tried to change the world when he published The Liberator, because at that time there was a, there was a, there was a, a big controversy of whether the African-American should be simply uh, freed or just be separate. So there was the colonizationists who wanted to send them back to Liberia. And then there was the abolitionists who believed that they should be freed without qualification. So yes, there there was a huge there was something called the American Anti-Slavery Society at the time, and they published a lot of magazines in order to promote their mm-hmm. uh, their, their philosophy. Uh, they, they they became so unpopular in the South that the, that many legislatures in the South actually tried to subpoena the editors of the magazine and 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 put them uh, put them in trial.
0: We're talking on Zoom here. Um, yes, and, uh, I mentioned you're you're in your 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 home in uh, New Jersey. Yes. <laughs> And behind you, there is a key part of your collection, which I'd love to hear more about because it's an extraordinary uh, project in its own right.
2: Absolutely. Well, you know, when, when you collect, you know, you, you get off into tangents. You know, there were the pulp magazines and there were the black magazines and they're the first issues. But I became enamored because I'm also a, um, uh, a trustee of the library of the Franklin, Roosevelt, Dylan, Franklin Delano Roosevelt Library. So I'm very interested in World War II and World War II history. And in 1942, Um, uh, the uh, Magazine Publishers Association of America and the United States Department of the Treasury got together to form a campaign called the United We Stand campaign, and the purpose of it was to sell war bonds.
0: Just to be clear, all the magazines agreed that they were going to create a front cover that featured the stars and stripes flag for that one edition.
2: That is correct. That is correct every single one if you if you show if you give me a title i'll I'll go over to the wall and show you uh-huh. it was even comic books you know like uh have uh-huh. with superman and and Batman and captain america and it 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 was every periodical you can possibly imagine, but i
0: have clearly some of them might be be quite obscure to people now they're 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 long lost publications that one doesn't know but but it did include it included Vogue and a lot of big names right.
2: Oh, everyone! Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, uh, of the fashion magazines. Gentlemen's Qu- well, what, what was Gentleman's Quarterly? Uh, mm-hmm, became name mm-hmm. Gentlemen's Quarterly was then a, a, a branch of Esquire. Um, yes, everyone. Um, there, they—all the major magazines. Uh, even even some of the nudist magazines had had had, had patriotic <laughs> covers. Which I find totally amazing. <laughs> the America, the world, America's only been unified twice in its entire history. One of them was in World War II, and the other one was at 9 11. After ah. that, it's been a big, a big political hassle, one way or the other, and there's always been some degree of division. But the unification of, of America that came about at the onset of World War, after Pearl Harbor, at the onset of, of, of World War II, was unique. And it was a total war effort. because um, uh, magazines come to a, usually come to a halt. Like during the Civil War, many magazines came to a halt because there was no people to to to, to man them. Mm-hmm. There's nobody to read them. Uh, but in World War II, it was just a universal war effort and a, a universal participation. Everything stopped. One focus: the war. And that focus was financed a lot, a lot by what people read in magazines.
0: And, I mean, that, that collection of 400 different magazines that you have is, is, uh, is an extraordinary example of, of, of a campaign led by magazine publishers. Um, Absolutely. It's something that we probably won't see the like of uh, again. Mr. Um, Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Just um, just quickly give us some details of the show. If, if, if anyone listening happens to sure. get to New York, where do they go and, and how do they – presumably they have to book a, a visit.
2: Sure. Well, first of all, I'll tell you that, that there are a number of online links uh, to the exhibition. I'm, I did a, uh, a video tour of the exhibition, which will be online shortly on the Grolier Club's website. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an Omeka uh, exhibition of all of the, the cases and the slides. The show is on until uh, April 24th uh, uh, to the Grolier, at the Grolier Club, which is on Park Avenue, and 60th on 60th street at park avenue mm-hmm. in manhattan uh you just have to get online at uh, to a, a you can you can enter by advent right uh social distancing lets about eight people in the room at the time but i uh if i get a large enough group i'll go down there and give a private tour because i just love talking about it i can't stop talking <laughs> about these things so so that's that's the exhibition the grolier has been fantastic um, this is there's no financial motivation in this book. I mean, this is this is this is a labor of love, to promote what you and I both are totally enamored with, and that's magazines.
0: A fascinating missive there from a very different era of magazines, but one that reminds us whatever else changes in our industry, some things remain the same. I can think of plenty of current magazines that will be used as records of our time in the future. After the break, our back issue and a quick mag culture update. London printers Park Communications play a key part in the independent publishing scene, helping ambitious magazine makers turn their dreams into reality. Look at the latest issues of Dog, Seasonzine and Positive News to get an idea of what they can do for your magazine. As well as helping you achieve the highest creative standards, Park are fully committed to helping you produce your magazine in the most environmentally friendly and sustainable manner. Check their new website for details. Search Park Communications. Just like MagCulture, Park Communications love magazines, and we're proud to have them sponsor this podcast. So Stephen took us up to twenty-two magazines, which means we have one left of our allocated twenty-three, and that is this episode's back issue. Music magazine Sup was published annually from nineteen ninety-eight to two thousand thirteen by Marissa Brickman, an American who now works at NTS Radio here in London. Most of the issues were art-directed in New York by Brendan Duggan. Over its 15 years, the magazine evolved from newsprint to fully-fledged mag, but aside from that final issue, was always distributed free. It evolved into a platform for writers and photographers to cover a very diverse range of music. Content-wise, it was straightforward. Most of the interviews were presented in question-and-answer format, uh, as also simple in design, but that was only a part of the story. Issue 23 was typical. The cover was a very blurred, black-and-white photograph of one of the duo blondes. And inside, there's an extended pay to Kraut Rocker's Noi, a picture story featuring DJ Nate, and interviews with 1O, Trix Point Never, Penguin Prison and Etienne Jomé. There was plenty more. The issue extended to 164 pages. Music magazines were my gateway to publishing, so I was always going to love SUP. But the killer element for me was a simple design device. However the stories fell or crossed double-page spreads, the left pages were all set in universe and the right-hand pages always in Times New Roman. This casual effect imposed an identity across all the many different styles of music and photography and still looks remarkably fresh today. If a headline ran across two pages, it would change font as it moved from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. The contents feels just as fresh too. It would be perfect for today's sense of the end of music genres. There was almost no type of music that couldn't figure in the magazine. I spoke to Marissa ahead of this podcast and she remains proud of what she produced, wishing only that more people had seen the magazine. She told me it had a playful spirit in every sense, content and design, and the writing was about the music, not about the writer. We'll be posting some images on the journal so you can get more of a sense of the magazine. Uh, So that's your 23 magazines and that's your episode. I hope you enjoyed the ride. Before I go, just time for a quick update from us here at MagCulture. After a year's work, we're excited to have just launched our new website. Uh, We've said goodbye to WordPress and moved everything to Shopify so we can have smoother integration between our writing and our shop. We're particularly excited that this means that we have a new search function that brings results from both the journal and the shop at the same time. Another key development is that the front covers representing the mags in our shop are scalable to reflect their actual size. This has been my dream for the online shop for, since the year dot, and it's just fantastic now that a small mag will now look small and a large mag will look large instead of every single magazine appearing to be the same size. We hope to be able to reopen our Clerkenwell shop to customers uh, on, on Monday, the 12th of April. Look out for news. And we're also planning our next Mag Culture Live conference. Again, Watch out for uh, updates. And you can keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly newsletter. So thanks to our guests, Carol Montpart and Stephen Lomazow, and to you for listening. See you soon.